Welcome to Making Resilience Cool, a podcast based on the resilience advantage, a 12-episode series created by U.S. Resiliency Council with the generous support of Optimum Seismic. The program addresses what resilience means to our communities, businesses, and governments here and around the world. I am your host, Audrey Liu, a student at Cal Poly SLO and an aspiring architectural engineer. Working with the host of the series, Evan Reese, the executive director of the USRC, I've been deep diving into the rich archive of interviews with special guests from various fields such as business leaders, community leaders, architects, engineers, and experts in sustainability, sharing their insights on the importance of resilient design. Come along with me on my journey in learning more about resilient design and why it is so important in all of our lives. Episode 17, Innovation That Excites. People anticipate the Apple launch every year. They get a preview of new products dropping and new technology being rolled out in real time on their devices. It really shows how exciting it could be to see products in our lives develop and improve. How about in the structural engineering field, Evan? Has there been a lot of progress and change since you've been in the field? Absolutely, Audrey. While structural engineering may be the oldest engineering discipline, the past 30-plus years have seen a boom in innovative products that are making our buildings more resilient. From base isolation to building shock absorbers to replaceable fuses that protect structures, our buildings are more high-tech than ever. Buckle up, because we have a whole panel here with us today with lots of insight to share. First off, we have Ellen Klumchek. The president of Taylor Devices, his company focuses on providing damping solutions for structural applications, including aerospace defense and now structural products. And our products are used throughout the world to protect buildings and bridges from the harmful effects of wind and earthquakes. Up next is Kyle Wilson, the regional director of Side Plate Systems, which created a patented moment frame design to be a direct solution to some of the design flaws that we as structural engineers found from those pre-Northridge moment frame connections. And so now we have a better performing connection that can be used on new and retrofit applications going forward. Next in line is Blake Ross Kelly, a senior structural engineer at Clark Pacific. Clark Pacific is a prefabricated building systems designer, manufacturer, and a construction company. And we create uh, building products out of primarily precast concrete and have been doing so for many years. Brent Saxe, the technical director for Corebrace, is also here with us today. His company manufactures buckling restraint braces that are used in buildings in moderate and high seismic areas to improve their uh, seismic performance and to improve their, their resiliency. And they get used in concrete and steel structures and uh, even occasionally in wood structures. Last but not least, Jeff Ellis a licensed California structural engineer who works for Simpson Strongtie. Their goal is to provide solutions for the construction industry, starting out with wood uh, connectors uh, and evolving into uh, all the way up through moment frames that can be used in 20-story buildings. Uh, So uh, quite the evolution over the decades. So on the topic of evolution, what has the timeline looked like for innovation within the field of structural engineering? 
technology certainly has advanced very dramatically uh, in the past several decades. Uh, we can all remember corded phones and, and, and fax machines and, you know, all these uh, uh, older devices now have been replaced with mobile phones and, and email. Uh, from a product supplier aspect, research and development activities, design and detailing software, manufacturing processes, all, all of these things have significantly changed. Uh, we've gone from manually running and measuring, you know, small component tests to performing tests uh, using advanced electronically controlled hydraulic testing systems, uh, performing not only uh, larger scale component tests, uh, but also large scale systems tests, for instance, on shake tables that replicate or simulate past earthquake motions. How have these processes changed for the better? We regularly also use advanced computer modeling um, and what this does for us uh, is it allows us to speed up product development, uh, predicts how a, a product is going to behave uh, before we even have to make and test an actual part. And then 3D printing also helps us to prototype and examine products again before we have to go through the fabrication uh, process. So quite a bit of capabilities from that perspective. And then other advances in technology uh, have certainly played a big role too. Things that have aided design efficiency, detailed development, product fabrication, design and coordination efforts. And this all comes about because of advances in computing power, um, some of the uh, improvements and evolution of design programs, drawing software, cost estimation programs, uh, computer numerical control, fabrication. Uh, and as also Simpson, we provide a lot of software solutions and also also integrate into other software. And what this helps uh, our customers do, including designers and contractors, is it helps facilitate their work and expedite the entire design and construction process. So technology has, has really affected quite a bit of what we can do and what we can offer to our customers and has improved the construction process overall. Oh yes, advanced computer modeling. Programs such as Revit and SAP 2000 are very useful. My professors strongly recommend getting to know these programs really well as they are used across the board. Kyle, how have you seen new technologies help in dealing with old problems? It's interesting to see how structural engineers used to design buildings back in the 80s and in the 90s and what significant earthquakes have happened for us to reevaluate how we design a building, how we need to make sure we maintain life safety. And we've now developed this reasoning that we need to make sure we have energy dissipation and we need to design with ductility in our buildings. And so if you look at some of these buildings that were built in the 80s and 90s, you might have buildings that have um, stress concentrations or brittle failures or unpredictable fa failures. And so it's nice to see that there's a lot of different technologies and companies that have their own patented ideas and products that they can offer to new developments that can actually help dissipate that type of energy. So that way we can maintain life safety and also um, make sure that we have a building that isn't going to um, experience significant amounts of um, deformations or um, during a high seismic event. How has it affected our field? And so we design buildings nowadays that whenever we have a significant earthquake or lateral movement, we want to make sure that the building is going to be moving and dissipating energy with that earthquake or with that high wind event. And so we now we have patented technologies that help take us to that level and make sure that we uh, build these resilient buildings going forward. It's great that technology can advance design that saves more lives. But from what I understand, it's not always easy to move these ideas from the computer into the field. Alan, could you talk a little bit about how research leads to new technologies and new technologies lead to changes in the building codes? 
Back in the early 1990s, we were working with the University at Buffalo at their earthquake research lab. And at the time, there was very, very little knowledge um, in the civil engineering community on how to use these nonlinear dampers and structures. So based on some initial test results that we that we uh, had from the University of Buffalo tests, the codes changed and more and more people became aware of the product. And admittedly, it's been a slow evolution of the acceptance of these products over the last 20, 25 years or so. But what we've been able to do is take the... the take that data, take the improved codes and approach the design engineers or the, the, the structural engineers directly so that we might be able to mutually um, design a building taking advantage of these products. But as long as we can have that relationship with the engineers themselves, they then can be educated enough to use that technology moving forward. With all these advancements, have you seen any increase in costs? Sometimes the cost of incorporating a solution such as fluid viscous dampers is actually very minimal. The cost of the dampers can actually be offset by savings in steel and concrete as well in the foundations. Even in the most stringent application, when a building owner is interested in the best performing design that he can possibly get and even achieve what we call immediate occupancy after a very large earthquake, it really still only costs maybe a couple to a few dollars per square foot in order to reach an optimal solution with fluid viscous dampers. So although there is sometimes an initial cost, that cost is offset by, by savings elsewhere, and the performance gain you get by only a few dollars per square foot can really go a long way in, in, in achieving that immediate occupancy, thereby possibly resulting in savings and in insurance, um, abilities of owners to charge higher rents, minimizing the disruption to businesses that work in those buildings. These high-tech solutions can be used and they do not need to cost very much at all. So I know that side plate was created after the Northridge earthquake. How has your technology impacted the structural engineering community? From that significant earthquake, that's when we, as structural engineers, learned a lot of design flaws. And so over time, our connection has developed to what's now become a field bolted moment frame connection uh, that can significantly speed up construction time. It can help the building owner occupy their structure a lot sooner. Uh, it's actually a better performing connection than other conventional moment frame designs that are out there on the market as well. And so overall, we've realized that what makes a project expensive on the initial cost is, is labor and time. And so we made sure we address those concerns. And that's how we got more and more consultants open to the idea of um, using a patented design like a side plate and frame connection. And now sometimes a lot of design teams will go into a new project using side plate as the basis of design. We just made sure that the patented technology doesn't need to be something that building owners need to be scared of. It's it can actually bring a lot more value and bring a lot more economy than they might once think. Blake, Clark Pacific also works with Moment Frame Technologies, correct? Clark Pacific is a design-build contractor, so a lot of the growing pains or challenges that come in with uh, convincing a contractor or a builder to implement new technologies like the uh, precast hybrid moment frame, they're taken care of internally. And so externally, the efforts that we go through are basically an education of our customer to let them know what the benefits are of a resilient lateral system and, and how the uh, system performs in order to provide them with added value. And Clark Pacific this prides itself in, in being a company that is constantly improving and constantly innovating uh, the way that it designs and builds uh, the structures that it provides to its customers. Brent, can you explain what makes buckling restraint braces beneficial? 
Well, buckling restraint braces are are fortunate in that their uh, application and installation procedures are very similar, if not easier, than than traditional brace frame methodologies. And so their uh, adaptation was really a, a very natural progression in in the seismic world. I remember uh, once when I was very young, early with with core brace, we had a contractor out of Kentucky uh, who had never seen a, a buckling restraint brace before call us up and ask us to come out to a, uh, a site meeting. We went out there and we sat in the trailer for an hour and, and had this meeting. We came out and, and the guy outside had already put like three of men and the contractor said, probably didn't need you here today. And sure enough, we all had a good laugh. That really shows that the brace frames are simple to construct. This will definitely cut construction time. Recently, as, as we've all started trying to understand resiliency better and things like residual drift, performance, and you know time to reoccupy the building, we've started researching that a lot more. And it's been known for a long time that a BRB can undergo you know multiple earthquakes without it wearing out, maybe as many as uh, you know 15 or 20 earthquakes even in some testing that's been done. The range and function of these new products and technologies is really wide. From speeding up construction to providing buildings with the strength to weather more stress. What are some examples of innovations that make construction more efficient? One of the products we have is what we call a universal retrofit foundation plate. One of the challenges with these crawl space retrofits is trying to drill through the mud sill uh, to place a bolt to keep that house from sliding off the foundation. Uh, a lot of times these spaces are very tight and, and difficult to get into. And so this uh, um, uh, universal retrofit foundation plate can actually, uh, is basically an L-shaped curve, if you will, uh, with screws going into that mud sill uh, and then bolts into the foundation. And that foundation uh, can be varying shapes. Uh, and so that uh, shows you, again, kind of this innovation or, or um, technology um, that can be used in a fairly simplistic way to make construction possible or easier uh, and more efficient. Brand? So buckling restrained braces are are used in, in new and retrofit uh, construction interchangeably. They're very adept at both. What makes them a, a good choice as far as economy goes and as far as um, sustainability and resiliency goes is is their ability to to concentrate the forces in the buckling restrained brace and to not have it go into the rest of the structure. And so that allows a new construction, a building to be designed that's that's lighter and more economical and that uses less material, leaves material that we can use somewhere else and we don't have to mine out of the earth. But that same trade of the of the BRBs also in a retrofit project is reducing the the force that needs to be taken by the existing structure. More efficient, lighter, and more economical. That's the best of all possibilities for structural engineers. How are these buckling restraint braces used? BRBs have been used uh, in many structures. Retrofit-wise, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a, of a building that we did early on in my time at, uh, at Core Brace the retrofit of, of a uh, library up at the University of Utah, that building was found to be structurally deficient. And so the engineers came in and kind of decoupled some of the concrete shear walls that were in there and added uh, exterior brace frames in the building, then allowed the building to become brought up to current codes, minimizing the effects of the building inside. In fact, I think that building remained occupiable during much of that construction. And that's, and that's been the case with you know hundreds of retrofit projects that have been done with, with BRBs. That's great that the business was able to keep running while construction was in process. Is it common for buildings to remain occupiable? 
Are there any other examples of this? Another example um, is in a parking structure for a, a hospital on the peninsula in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, the, the hospital owner was, like many hospital owners in the state of California, were required to design a new, a new hospital that would be able to meet the high performance objectives that are required for hospitals so that they can remain operational following a seismic event. We need the, our hospitals to be able to remain functional so that we can send those that are injured and need, and need help to those facilities. And the, the owner of this hospital needed to build an, an adjacent parking structure. They wanted to ensure that the parking structure provided the same performance objective and resilience as the hospital itself because the parking structure that met the performance objectives and the resiliency that was needed for that structure so that it could match that same uh, performance of the hospital. Yes, just like in the case of the pandemic, hospitals still needed to be open to take care of COVID patients. Kyle, how can moment frame connections be utilized to improve the overall performance of the structure? There's three key aspects that SiteBlade brings value to a project. First of all, it's it brings a lot of engineering value. It's it's one of the best performing moment frame connections that a designer can utilize, bring to the overall performance of the structure, and it can withstand significant amounts of earthquakes while still being occupiable after those those significant earthquakes. And then secondly, SiteBlade is a very stiff connection, and so with that increased stiffness over a conventional moment frame design, we can actually reduce the overall amount of steel on the project from the steel beam and column sizes. And so that can equate to tens of thousands of dollars to maybe sometimes even hundreds of thousands of dollars, or even sometimes even a million dollars worth of raw steel savings on a project. And then thirdly, our connection is now a field bolted moment frame design versus a conventional moment frame design. It still requires welding on site. And so now when you transition to a field bolted moment frame design, that's going to resonate with building owners and general contractors because it can significantly reduce that amount of labor time. And so if a design team, a construction team, or an ownership team resonates with any, any one of those three key aspects, that's a good reason to proceed with a side plate design for your steel structure. Wow more money-saving hacks. Plus, the building can withstand significant amounts of earthquakes while being occupiable afterwards. More on new design and retrofit advances. How about dampers? They absorb a lot of energy. So fluid, fluid viscous dampers are certainly applicable to both new and retrofit structures, uh, for sure. We have um, now have over 750 projects worldwide that incorporate uh, viscous dampers. And because fluid dampers act like shock absorbers on your car, they operate and absorb energy only when they move. And so, you know, when automobiles were first invented, uh, suspension systems weren't optimized at that time. Now, with today's automobiles, nobody would ever build or like to ride in an automobile without shock absorbers, without that extra energy energy absorbing benefit. What are some examples of this being used in everyday life? A few examples that, that I can point out is the famous LA City Hall in Los Angeles, of course, and the, um, the West Side Pavilion, which is a, a former shopping mall in West Los Angeles that was recently converted to an office building that was a very good candidate for the use of uh, viscous dampers and um, 181 Fremont in San Francisco. This was a very unique building. It also had fluid viscous dampers that were actually optimized to protect the structure from wind and seismic at the same time. And because the velocity range of wind events compared to seismic events was so different, it required a very specialized type of product to be used to optimize the system for both wind and seismic. Kyle, 
What's really great about all these companies on this panel discussion is that you can actually utilize all, all, all of our different technologies all in one building. So there's one particular hospital that comes to mind, like the Loma Linda Hospital. We have BRBs being used in the hospital, as well as side plate moment frames, as well as dampers such as base isolation on just one, one project. And so that's a super resilient structure. And so it's, it's important to know that you can use more than just one resilient product on your structure going forward. And there's many to choose from, and there's a lot of great benefits that each company has to offer. Evan, I felt like I've been through a time machine. The panel definitely walked me through how the field of structural engineering has changed over the years. I am so excited for what the future holds. It's amazing, isn't it? how such high-tech innovations are being installed right alongside the traditional wood, concrete, and steel that we've always built with. The companies you heard from today are really leading the charge toward a more resilient future. Cool, so who's going to be our next interview? Well, now that you've heard about all these great new innovations that are helping make buildings more resilient, we're going to hear from an official from the state of Oregon and a structural engineer who used one of these products to make Oregon's new treasury building a state-of-the-art and resilient facility. Great. Looking forward to it. For more resources and information about this panel discussion on innovation and new technologies, or for links to the Resilience Advantage series, check out our website. Thanks for joining me and listening to Making Resilience Cool, a podcast based on the 12-episode Resilience Advantage series created by the USRC with the generous support of Optimum Seismic. Join me next time as I delve more deeply into the incredible archive of interviews from that series with engineers, architects, innovators, business leaders, and community leaders talking about everything you could possibly want to learn about what resilience really means. Next episode, I'll be deep diving into the Resilience Advantage interview with the people behind the design and development of the Portland Treasury Building.